This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about strategies and solutions for living a happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative life. This week is episode 280, and because every 10th episode is a very special episode, this episode is dedicated to listener questions about the four tendencies. That's the personality framework that I came up with. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and the four tendencies. I'm in my home office in New York City, and with me is one of my very favorite obligers, my sister Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And yes, Gretch, because I'm an obliger, I often look to you for accountability to make sure I get things done. <laughs> and that's how I get my nickname, The Happiness Bully. Yes. <laughs> So I don't forget to mention it. If you are intrigued with the four tendencies and you want to go deeper, the four tendencies online course is on sale for $50 now through the end of July. That is 50% off the usual price. And if you want more information, you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash 4TC. That's the number four and then just the letters TC. And you can find out all about it and sign up there. We want to say happy July 4th and happy birthday to our mother. Her birthday is on July 4th. Happy birthday, mom. Yeah, which is a great day for a birthday, by yes. the way, if you're if you're picking a birthday, which you never get to do. And before we dive into our listener questions and answers about the four tendencies, I do not want to miss the opportunity to do my weekly spotlight on a Black author. And this week, I want to mention the hilarious, edgy, remarkably vulnerable, and unabashedly raunchy essays of Samantha Irby. I have I've read her best-selling collection, Wow, No Thank You. I am almost finished with her collection, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. I haven't read her first collection, which is kind of the one a lot of people know best, which is Meaty. Now, I love essays. I love humor writing. So this was a, she was a big find for me because that's exactly what she does. 
And Samantha Irby has a style that it seems very casual and conversational. And I know from experience how hard it is to strike mm-hmm. up that effortless tone. And she writes about anxiety, about art, Crohn's disease, her devilish cat, living in Illinois, her love of makeup, her wife, the weather. She just writes about everything. And I discovered her online because the site The Cut included her one of her essays called The Worst Friend Date I Ever Had, which is from her collection, Wow, No Thank You. And it was so funny that I immediately tracked <laughs> down her book. So I will I will include a link to that excerpt if you want to get a taste of Samantha Irby. These are short essays, so it's also good if you don't have time to like sit down and read 200 pages at once. These are like short essays that they build, but they also stand alone, and they're very funny. And just so you know, some of the essays are quite explicit. So Samantha Irby. I can't wait to read, Gretch. This sounds right up my alley. (laughs) I think it is. Okay, Gretchen, it's time to launch into our four tendencies questions. First, do you want to just do a quick overview in case somebody doesn't know what we're talking about? Yes, this is the lightning lightning <laughs> style version. Um, now, if you want to take a quiz that will tell you what you are, you can go to quiz.gretchenribbon.com and it's a free quick quiz and it will tell you if you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel and give you a little report. A lot of people like to take the quiz. 2.8 million people have taken the quiz. But if you, but usually you don't even need to take the quiz. I'll give this quick overview and people can tell. And as a refresher, so what the Four Tendencies looks at is how you respond to expectations. Outer expectations like work deadline and inner expectations like I want to keep a New Year's resolutions. So if you, upholders, questioners, obligers, rebels. Upholders readily keep outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to do what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. If something makes sense to them, if it meets their inner standard, they will do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will resist. And so their motto is I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. <laughs> obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, no problem. When she's trying to go on her own, she struggles. Uh, obligers must have outer accountability, even to meet inner expectations. That is the big reveal for <laughs> obligers. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Typically, they don't even tell themselves what to do. They won't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday because they're like, I don't know what I want to do on Saturday. And just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up will annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me, and neither can I. <laughs> so those are the four. And of the four, obliger is the biggest tendency for both men and women. Next is questioner. Rebel is the smallest, and only slightly larger than rebel is upholder. And I am an obliger, and you're an upholder. Yeah, okay. so that is the overview. All right, well, let's start with a question from Dan. He says, 
Currently, I'm in a difficult situation where my significant other, who is a questioner, wants me to be, quote, myself, but also wants me to be more selfish and be more focused on myself, kind of like an upholder. I just don't know how to stay focused on myself and meet my inner expectations. So if you have any advice or know where I can get that kind of advice, it would be much appreciated. I'm in a very difficult situation right now. Dan is obviously an obliger. Yes. Yes. And so, and this is a classic problem with an obliger, which is that I'm not good at meeting my expectations for myself, or I'm not good at drawing boundaries. I'm not good at making myself a priority. I'm not good at self-care. And this, I have to say, can be a point of conflict with questioners and upholders because questioners and upholders are good at meeting inner expectations. They can get kind of exasperated when they don't understand why obligers can't make time for themselves or follow through on things for themselves. So the answer is outer accountability. If you are an obliger, you need outer accountability for anything that's an inner expectation, even something that is fun or indulgent or anything. So if you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to take a nap, say, make a deal with your partner where you can only take a nap if I take a nap. And so you have to take a nap because your partner wants to take a nap. Or you could think of your duty to your future self. Or, you know, there's there's many, you could sign up for a class. You want to exercise more, sign up for a class or make make plans with a friend who'll be annoyed if you don't show up. There are a million ways to create outer accountability, but what an obliger needs to realize is, and it's good for the questioner to realize this too, there has to be outer accountability. Now, side note, sweethearts and spouses do not typically make good accountability partners because they're too close to us. So we ignore them just the way we'd ignore us if we're an obliger. So you want to get outer accountability from somebody other than your partner or your sweetheart or your spouse. But that is the thing. Whatever it is that you need to do to be more selfish or more focused on yourself, you need to find a way to have outer accountability. Your partner could give you like a a gift card Mm -hmm. for a a massage and be like, you're really going to hurt my feelings if Mm -hmm. you don't to get the massage, then Dan is going to feel like he has to get the massage because otherwise his significant other's feelings are going to be hurt. Good luck, Dan. Good luck, Dan. Don't try to be an upholder. Just outer accountability. It's the answer. Okay. Catherine says, knowing that I am a questioner has given me a lot of insight into myself as to why I do things. I just listened to the episode that talks about how questioners don't like to answer questions. I'm engaged to a guy with a 15-year-old child who's constantly asking me what I call five-year-old questions, ones a five-year-old would ask. What are you doing? What are you reading? What's it about? And on and on. I want to answer them, none of your business. She's a sweet girl, and I love her. How do I not let this bother me so much and or, even better, put a rein on some of the questions? This is so funny because I ask those kind of questions to Adam and he finds it irritating. I don't, I see those as adult questions, not five-year-old questions. Well, and I think that's a, that's an excellent point, which is this is a way to reach out. It's a way to connect and it's really a bid for attention and engagement. And so it, it, it's, it rubs you the wrong way, but it's not like she's doing something that is babyish because this is something that adults would do too. It's just a way of trying to connect. But it happens to annoy you. So that's a, that's a problem. And questioners are often annoyed by questions. So part of it is just to intellectually understand that they aren't about the information gathering or the efficiency of information. They're about trying to engage. And so maybe instead of feeling like you have to answer questions to just start engaging with her. So if she says, what are you doing? You could just say something like, this weekend is coming up. I'm really looking forward to that trip. Don't feel like you have to answer the question. It's just she wants your attention in some way. 
Now, I will say that with my husband, my husband Jamie is a questioner who typically doesn't like to answer questions, but loves to ask questions. Mm. And I find that annoying. <laughs> so sometimes I say to him, questions without answers, meaning I'm not going to answer your questions, but I would not do that in this case because I think it's just a little bit too snarky. It's probably too snarky for me to do to Jamie, but I do it anyway. But I think it's to understand that these are not questions that require answers. They are bids for engagement that are asking to connect. And so you can disregard the question part of it and just try to use it as a, recognize it as a moment for connection. And I wonder if she wants to have fewer questions. If the 15-year-old asks a series of questions, could she say something like, oh, let's talk. I want to read my book for half an hour, but then let's yes. talk and I'll tell you all about it. And yes. they'll talk about the book or not, but the 15-year-old will know that there is a time set aside for her. Yes, right. To kind of announce right now, I need to be uninterrupted, but then later on, I'll make time for you. I think that's a great suggestion. Okay, Gretchen, this comes from Lisa. She says, I've been thinking about the four tendencies and how people have reacted to COVID-19, and I remember the sign you suggested creating to encourage people with different tendencies to clean a kitchen. I thought that right now it might be useful to have a sign to encourage people to wear masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Here are some of my ideas about what might appeal to each tendency. Okay, these are great. Upholders. The CDC and health experts strongly recommend that citizens wear masks in public. Then for obligers, wearing a mask will protect people around you if you unknowingly have the virus. For questioners, research shows that wearing a mask reduces the spread of virus droplets, but this strategy only works if everyone wears a mask. And rebels, when you wear a mask, you tell the world, I am someone who cares about my community. And she says, what do you think? I'm really struggling to get my questioner slash rebel husband and kids to wear masks right now. As an upholder, obliger myself, this is a challenge. We got many questions from people relating to how to communicate more effectively with people. I think these are great ideas. I love the fact that with rebel, it's an appeal to identity. Mm -hmm. It's like, what kind of person are you? I'm the kind of person who cares about other people. I'm the kind of person who thinks about the health of others. Yeah, and Gretchen, in our Happier in Hollywood Facebook group, there's a lot of discussion about mask wearing, and we have had a lot of rebels chime in that they are wearing masks because they see themselves as members of a community and they want to be good members of the community. Now, the thing about obligers, it's like, who are you, what expectation are you meeting? Because it could be that the people around you are like, oh, we're all just having fun together. Let's not wear masks. Or like, oh, it doesn't matter. We're just running into the store for 10 minutes. You might always want to think about like, well, What's your value? Because people have different values and the more clarity we have about our values, the easier it is for us to create the whatever it is that we need to do to meet those expectations for ourselves. So for all the tendencies, it's really good to like just get clear on what you want to expect from yourself. So I think these are great. Thank you, Lisa. Coming up, we'll hear a question about how obligers can say no. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. 
And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretchen, we're back and we have a voicemail question. I am a questioner rebel who was born into a family of obligers or people who are at least obliger leaning and I definitely need help. How do I give an obliger permission to say no? I think people in general are afraid to say no, but obligers more than most. Sometimes I may ask someone for something and truthfully want them to say no if they don't have time or don't want to. Because of this, I find myself prefacing any request with please, 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 only if you are available or if it isn't going out of your way or something like that. For example, my brother had an old trampoline frame my husband and I were going to repurpose into a chicken coop. He was also planning on stopping at my house to pick up eggs. I messaged him. Would it be a huge pain in the butt for you to bring the trampoline frame over tomorrow when you get stopped? I'm not sure how big it is or if it's in a box. I know you're usually pretty busy, so if so, it's seriously no biggie. We can just come over Sunday. I was just curious. My brother, I will load them in the truck and figure out the best time to bring them over. Me. Oh, well, don't worry about it then, especially if you have to make an extra trip. That is definitely more hassle and a pain to do. My brother, it's not a pain. It won't take long to load them in my truck. I just have to figure out when I can run over as we won't be taking the truck tomorrow. Eventually, I just flat out told him that we would come over to get it because I knew he would keep insisting. He was seriously busy with work at that point in time, but I thought if he could just easily pick it up, put it in the car, it would be convenient for both of us. With some people, especially obligers that tip to upholder instead of rebel, I have such a hard time with this. Do you have any suggestions to make obligers feel less obligated? This is a really common problem, and this is why people love obligers mm. and why obligers are the, are the rock of the world is because they're the people who go the extra mile. But I think that this caller is very wise to think about, I don't want to put these expectations on somebody. I need to hold back. I need to be careful that I don't just lightly throw out something, and then this person is like organizing their whole day around doing an errand when I didn't want them to, but still I've somehow given this expectation. I think we all just have to be very aware of our audience. Rich, can I offer what I think yes. my suggestion would yes. be as, as an obliger? An obliger? Yes. 
I think she just needs to ask less. I mean, I think she knows putting it out there makes them feel stressed about obliging. And I think if she thinks it through, she probably knows whether something is going to cause hassle or not. And so I would say, if possible, just ask for fewer favors and only ask if it really matters. And then you can expect that they will do it. But just the back and forth is very wearing. Even for obligers, it's stressful. It is. It is. So just don't ask. I think that's a great idea. I think that's great advice. Yeah, yeah. Because if you know that somebody is going to feel very, very powerful pressure to always say yes, don't ask. I I think that's exactly right. Because she's already telling them you can say no, and that's obviously not working. Or the alternative is she can just let them do her whatever favors and reap the rewards. But I think it's either don't ask or just reap the rewards. Yeah, exactly. You can't make somebody observe that. And so it's futile. Now, here are some solutions and insight from listeners. So these aren't questions, but these were clever solutions that we thought we could all learn from each other. So these I thought were great. So Kaylee said, I thought I'd share a few recent obliger epiphanies. I work from home and for the last few months, I've been building a new business. I'm really excited about it, but the lack of outer accountability combined with working alone at home has been challenging. In March, when my husband began working at home, I was amazed at how much his daily present became a means of outer accountability. It reminded me of college and how I could get so much more work done in a library where I was surrounded by my studious peers than I would alone in my dorm room. It's also brought structure to my day that I didn't know I needed. Although romantic partners don't make good accountability buddies, his presence has helped me feel like someone's holding me accountable. I've been trying to find ways to replicate this once he goes back to working in an office, and I discovered Focusmate. Basically, you enter in times you'd like to work, and then you get virtually paired with someone else who wants to work. At the scheduled time, you launch a video call with a stranger, you introduce yourself, announce your goal, and begin working. That is so interesting, Gretchen. I know exactly what she means because... Sarah and I find when we're both writing in the same room, we feel pressure to to write more. So I get this. Yeah, smart. Here's another tendency-based solution. Lisa says, my partner is a classic rebel and I'm a textbook obliger. Since being home during COVID-19, our usual somewhat untidy kitchen has transformed into a perpetually messy kitchen and it has been driving me crazy. For weeks, I tried to come up with systems that worked for me, rules like we do the dishes every night before bed or whoever uses the dish cleans the dish. Unsurprisingly, my rebel partner followed no such rules, so I tried a different approach. Realizing that if I really want something done, I should just do it myself since kitchen cleanliness matters zero to my boyfriend— I've started using the one-minute rule whenever I'm in the kitchen and my partner is around. I nearly always keep cleaning once I have the momentum and my partner doesn't want to identify with being the unhelpful, messy household member. (laughs) So when he sees me cleaning, he always joins in or offers to take over. The key is I never ask him to help. Thanks to your many tips, he feels like a contributing member of the household. I feel like we're doing something as a team and my kitchen has never been cleaner. Brilliant. Harness the power of the tendencies. Okay, Gretchen, here is another question. This is from Kelly. 
She says, I am an obliger and entrepreneurial at heart. I'm wondering if there are any tips or tricks for obligers to use to create enough outer accountability to move forward with developing a business and getting started. I get so excited and inspired and I have so many ideas, but I can't focus on any one of them or put any energy into any of them. So needless to say, they are all going nowhere. Since no one is relying on me to follow through, including myself, because I currently work full time, so I don't even need the money, I really struggle. I'm someone who needs a lot of outer accountability. Just having someone check in with me weekly isn't enough. It's almost like I need outer accountability for me to find outer accountability. <laughs> would so appreciate any different ideas on how to, quote, get to work. So here's something that works for a lot of obligers is go ahead and create a client, a student, a customer, even before you have a product. So you could offer a class even before you've had a class and then you have people sign up. So now you have students. Now you may have to do this for free, but for most people, it's like you have 10 people who are signing up on your e-course about blah, blah. You're going to feel like, well, I better create that <laughs> e-course. Or let's say you're starting a wedding photography business. We'll say to somebody, I'll come take pictures of your wedding. Well, now you've got to get everything in gear because somebody's counting on you. Mm -hmm. So I heard about somebody who wanted to write an e-book. So what she did is she, it was about parenting. So she interviewed some of her friends and said, I'm going to use these interviews in my e-book that I'm writing. And then her friends were like, oh, I can't wait to read your e-book. I want to see what you said, how you quoted me. So she's like, okay, now these people are waiting for the book. And so even if there's not money, if there are people who are looking at their watch and being like, oh, but I thought you were going to give this to me on Friday, or I thought I was going to get this by the end of the month, that can work. Another thing you can think of is, are you going to be a role model for other people? And so you can be a role model as somebody who's starting their own business. You could be a role model as a creative person. You could be a role model as somebody who keeps promises to themselves. Or Gretchen, I mean, she could have an actual partner. She could start one of yes. her ideas with a friend and yes. then she really would be accountable to someone who wants to get it going. And ideally, she would pick an upholder friend and not a, yeah. not another obliger. But even like you and Sarah are both obligers. True. And there is the accountability of a team. And like, I can't do my part till yeah. you do your part. We can't move forward until this gets figured yeah. out. So it really is about going ahead and figuring out how can I create a structure of outer accountability around something even before it's really going. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of obligers will teach something so that they'll do it. Like they teach spin class because otherwise they know they would never exercise or they teach genealogy because that's when they do their own genealogy research. So often putting yourself out there as like the source of information or service, then you have the accountability of the people who are depending on you to get that. Also, just I have to suggest that she listen to Side Hustle School, which won't help yes. with accountability, but will be inspirational. But also, I think hearing how different people have set up their side hustles can give you good ideas about how you could build an outer accountability. And Chris Gillibo, the host of that, is a rebel. Mm. So he often includes things that work for different tendencies, even if the people don't know it. They're, <laughs> yeah, so that's Side Hustle School podcast. Coming up, we'll hear from an obliger who went through some severe obliger rebellion. But first, this break. Gretch, I love eating sandwiches like a grilled cheese or a peanut butter sandwich is my ideal lunch, but I'm very aware of my carb intake, so oftentimes I avoid sandwiches. Luckily, Hero Bread has remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus it has protein and fiber. 
I have been using it to make grilled cheeses, and I use their tortillas to make a cheese quesadilla, and I am in heaven. Hero Bread tastes great, has a terrific texture, and helps you meet your nutrition goals. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use happier at checkout. That's happier at H-E-R-O dot C-O. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hut chore? Mm -hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. Okay, Gretchen, we're back talking about the tendencies and answering questions about the tendencies. This comes from Ross. He says, I'm an obliger who tips to upholder. About six months ago, I went through what I realize now is a severe case of obliger rebellion. In essence, I was working as a chef at a resort and was under huge amounts of pressure and stress. After three weeks of 70-hour weeks, I cracked and went to my doctor and got a medical certificate. I sent this to my boss and then followed up with my resignation three hours later. <laughs> I'm quite an anxious person, but I had zero anxiety when completing this whole rebellion. I felt such relief, and since this moment, I feel like I've been in a perpetual state of obliger rebellion, especially where work is concerned. I feel like I'm now putting my guards up when my employer or supervisors ask me to take on a new role or additional responsibilities. Do you have any tips for combating my dubiousness or am I justified in making sure I am not taken advantage of again? Well, this is interesting because it's a perfect example of obliger rebellion and how obliger rebellion can be very beneficial. Sometimes it really does blow up a situation that's unsustainable. So this is good obliger rebellion. But then I think Ross is wise to think, well, I don't want this to become a perpetual state or kind of interfere with my ability to move forward. So I think that one thing that can help, and I say this as an upholder because upholders and obligers have a lot in common, is if somebody's asking you to do something, stall for time and go ask somebody else, mm. often a questioner, and be like, do you think this is reasonable? Mm. Should I do mm -hmm. this? I often ask Jamie that. He's my husband as a questioner. Because they can kind of help you understand like, yeah, that's reasonable. Or like, why would you do that? Or like, that's completely out of line. Because questioners are like, their fundamental question is, why would you do that? They often are, give really good counsel and like, well, that makes, and maybe you would have to talk it through them. Like, well, maybe it makes sense for this reason, but not for this reason. But I think for an obliger, often the accountability of having to kind of report to somebody else and say like, okay, they're asking me to do this. And it's often easier to stall for time. Oh, that sounds interesting. Let, I need to check my calendar. Oh, I feel like there's some, I feel like I might have a conflict with that. Let me, mm -hmm. let me look up my emails and I will get back to you. 
And then give yourself a break. Don't answer in the moment. And then con- and then ask somebody else. I think can be very useful. Good idea. And finally, Gretchen, we have a question from Wendy. She says, I am an obliger and my boss is a questioner. I also need to point out that my boss is a good friend, but in the end, he is still my boss. He has this awful habit of talking to me about things we discussed, work stuff, a week or more ago with no prefacing or context. He will start conversations in the middle as if we've been talking about it all along. From the moment he brings something up, I am lost. I have no idea what he's talking about. And when I ask, I get these vague responses like, oh, that one thing we talked about last week. I'm like, what thing? I think we send 10 or 15 messages back and forth before I finally figure out what he's talking about when we could have been done with it long ago if he just prefaced what he was saying or gave me some context to start with or if he just answered my questions right away. He acts like I should just know what he's talking about. I work for a very big and busy company and have so many projects that this conversation could apply to several different things I'm working on. Why is it so hard for him to start a conversation saying regarding XYZ? I have told him this before and he just doesn't get it. I end up being angry and have a hard time not showing it and I'm heading toward obliger rebellion more and more. I want to respect him, but I don't feel he's respecting me when I ask for more details. So this gets back to this idea of questioners not liking to answer questions. And I have to say, this is not a universal thing of questioners. So sometimes people are like, well, I can't be a questioner because I don't have this problem. So it's not something all questioners have, but many questioners have it. So here's what I would say. First of all, don't take it personally because this is just like a questioner thing and it's annoying, but it's not like he's doing it to drive you crazy because sometimes it does feel like the person's kind of yanking your chain. I say that again from experience because my husband, Jamie, is a questioner. One thing I would say is maybe propose an answer like, are you talking about X, Y, Z? Question mark. And then he has to correct you. And so don't be like, well, if it's this, then I would answer this way, blah, blah, blah. Just say like, is this regarding... The, the Johnson sale. Mm-hmm. And then he has to correct you and be like, no, it's not. Rigor-. And if he just says no, then just don't answer. Mm. Don't continue to supply, propose something and let him correct. Yeah. And Gretchen, if it's an actual message, maybe she can title it with what she thinks it's about. But I wouldn't get drawn into spending a lot of time on this because part of it is it's sucking your mm. time away. So don't be like, if you're talking about the Johnson matter, then I would say this. Just be like, is this the Johnson right. matter? Another thing is to just not answer at all and just say, like, I'm not sure what you're talking mm, about. Oh, well, that's good. And then don't answer <laughs> further. Because the thing about a questioner is they're going to do whatever is sufficient. And if you're just like, I can't move forward because I don't understand. It's not clear what matter you're referring to. Don't feel like it's on you mm-hmm. to supply that it's on that person. But again, the only way that you get somebody to change their behavior is if you're not doing the work mm-hmm. for them. Because otherwise... Not out of bad intention or manipulativeness. People just don't understand why it's not working. So if you're doing all the work of framing and guessing and doing all the back and forth, that's fine. It's clearly not a problem for this person, this boss. So you just need to say, like, I'm not sure what matter you're referring to and then let them pick it up. Well, good luck with this. This is a sticky one. Yes. Yeah. So this was so fun to talk about people's questions and think about the answers. Um, I always get such a kick out of seeing the four tendencies Mm -hmm. at work in the world. Let us know how the tendencies have worked for you. If you have any great solutions or strategies that you've come up with, let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. This is very special episode 280. So you can go to happiercast.com slash 280. 
for everything related to this episode. Gretchen, you just cannot get enough of the tendencies. (laughs) I can't. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Use the four tendencies at work, at home, in life. Let us know what you did and what worked for you. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like this show, Upholders, we've asked. I hope you will do it. Rate, review the show, subscribe. Questioners, it really does help us. This makes a big difference if you take this action. Obligers, we're counting on you to rate and review us. Rebels, do whatever you want. If it works for (laughs) you, if you've got the time, if you've got the inclination, it would really mean a lot to us. And... Another reminder, if you are intrigued with the four tendencies, my video course is on sale for $50 until the end of July, which is a 50% discount. To learn more and register, go to GretchenRubin.com slash 4TC. That's the number four and TC. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. Gretch, do you think there's been a lot of obliger rebellion during stay at home? Oh, interesting. You know, I haven't heard from people about it, but I would not be surprised. I will be so curious to hear more about that. From the Onward Project. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for ways for my son to get involved and give back in our local community. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, is also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org/students. That's lls.org/students.